Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lippman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. We are glad to join you this week on the Lone Star Podcast. This is Pastor Trey Graham from Texas talking to my good friend Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel. Rabbi Lipman, how are you, my friend? Thank God, Pastor, doing great. How's everything over there in Texas? It is very good. We have had too much winter here in the great state of Texas. We don't like this under-freezing temperature stuff, but you know what? God is good. It's a brand new year, and we're happy to visit with you today as we talk about the Word of God. It's great to be here, and we in Israel, we've actually gone through a number of weeks without rain, uh, the whole winter actually, without enough rain. There's been a lot of prayers said, special prayers added to our daily prayers, some communal prayers. We've had some rain over the last few days, which has been great, and we certainly hope that it continues, and we can certainly ask for the prayers from uh, those who love Israel all around the world to join in those prayers. Let's talk about a brief news story before we discuss the parashah, the weekly Torah portion. Our U.S. President, Donald Trump, is doing something that I think is about time, and that is he is warning the Palestinian Authority that he may turn off some of the U.S. foreign aid money that goes to the Palestinian Authority if they will not, A, stop bashing the American government, and B, stop opposing his plan to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. But most importantly, if they don't stop paying salaries to the family members of suicide bombers and martyrs. And this is an untold story that doesn't get nearly enough attention that the Palestinian Authority, led by President Mahmoud Abbas, also known as Abu Mazen, gives money, financial incentive to Palestinian terrorists to go take the lives of innocent Israelis, and if they survive and they go to jail, they're going to get a salary for it, and if they're killed, their family's going to get a salary moving forward, and the Palestinians don't like that that's public knowledge. They also try to say that some of the 200-plus million dollars that comes from the U.S. foreign aid every year to the Palestinian Authority, that money's not used in that way, but it's terrible that money at all is being paid to encourage terrorism And as an American, I say thank you, Donald Trump, for finally saying no more money to terrorists. I I often wonder, does the average American even realize that taxpayer money is going to a Palestinian authority which rewards terrorism? You know, in terms of the issue of, of the Palestinians rejecting American policy and spitting in the face of America, that, that as an Israeli, I won't, I won't comment on, and Israelis themselves can make, Americans themselves can make their decisions. But uh, on, the, on the terror front, that's something which directly impacts my life and creates threats for all of us around Israel and has killed people uh, in, in Israel. And uh, all Americans uh, have to rally behind these potential decisions to cut off uh, that funding 
and to make sure that U.S. money is going towards real U.S. interests and towards things that really represent U.S. values. And I don't know one American who will say that an American value is supporting incitement to terrorism. So we in Israel certainly welcome the, the tough stance. Uh, we're, we're thankful to have friends in the United States who are understanding what we're dealing with uh, over here, who understand that Israel will do, will do what it needs to do uh, for peace uh, if it's provided with its security, including serious compromises, which are not simple. But the other side is not interested in that. The other side is interested in destroying Israel. And the, the incitement to terror is a big part of that. So uh, we, we celebrate the renewed, strengthened relationship. And we certainly hope that the Palestinian side will simply stop their incitement to terror and actually be interested in trying to resolve this conflict uh, in, an, in an honest and fair manner that provides for Israel's security. And what happens, and if the U.S. president's actions uh, push towards that a little further uh, or serve to prevent the incitement towards terror, we're very thankful to God for that development. One major player in this conversation is the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, a Republican woman, former governor of South Carolina, a committed Christian. She's the president's spokesperson in this regard. And just for our listeners' education, since the establishment of limited Palestinian self-rule in the West Bank and Gaza in the mid-1990s, the United States government has committed more than $5 billion dollars in what's called bilateral economic and non-lethal security assistance to the Palestinians. And so the Palestinians have become the world's largest per capita recipients of international foreign aid. So it's not just American taxpayer money that's going to the Palestinian Authority, which encourages terrorism. It's other nations who give money to the PA, the Palestinian Authority. And maybe if America steps up and does what is right and says no more money to terrorists, then other nations will follow, like America taking the lead and moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Maybe other nations will follow suit as well. And it's an example of too many countries, like too many people, are followers. And if leaders will step up and do what is right, other people will do what is right. There's no doubt that uh, America leads. America leads the world, and it's so good to see America in a position where it's doing what it feels is right. And by the way, I'll extend that to the United Nations as well. I mean, hearing that the U.S. is considering uh, cutting off huge amounts of its funding to the United Nations, we in Israel celebrate that as well. This organization, which is essentially just a vehicle to attack Israel and certainly go against America's interests. We live in a time where we need to stand up and we need to say the truth and not to, not to be afraid to walk in the path that we believe is right. And we certainly see these steps as being that way. Israel, for quite a while, has felt very much alone when it comes to a lot of these issues. And now we don't feel uh, as alone, and then we certainly are, are very thankful. I do ask our Christian and Jewish listeners on the podcast to join us in praying for President Trump and Ambassador Haley to do the right thing. As an American citizen who pays my taxes, I want my tax money used to encourage the preservation of life and the protection of innocence and not to be used to fund terrorists or the organizations and governments who 
espouse terrorism. So please join us, whether you are a Jew or a Christian, to pray for the president to make the right decisions and Congress to go along with those decisions to use our American tax money in a way that protects innocent lives. And speaking of protecting the lives of Jewish people, let's talk about this week's Torah portion. It is the beginning of a new Bible book, the second book of the Bible. The Torah portion is called Shmot, which means names in Hebrew. This is the beginning of the book of Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament. And this week's Torah portion covers the first five chapters, chapters one through five of Exodus. And we transition out of the last part of the book of Genesis that we studied previously on the podcast. And Joseph, the main character at the end of Genesis, has passed away. And it says that a new Pharaoh arose into power in Egypt who did not know Joseph, didn't have the same respect for the wisdom and the actions of Joseph. And now because of Joseph doing the honorable thing of moving Jacob and all of his family members and brothers to the land of Egypt, while there was a famine and a drought in Israel, the number of people of Israel in Egypt has exploded. They've been blessed numerically, as God said they would be. And now the new Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, is worried that they might revolt, try to rebel against him, or align themselves with a foreign nation to overthrow his power. So he institutes a system of slavery, putting the Jews into slavery in Egypt. And part of that is to help build the kingdom and the things that you see, all the archaeological heritage of Egypt. But this is a situation that we've seen in so many other world stories where these people are put on trial or they're convicted of the crime of being a Jew and that's what their crime is and now they're enslaved in Egypt and in a moment we're going to talk about the most famous character in this story the man named Moses but Rabbi talk about the pattern this motif of Jews being accused of wrong or being persecuted simply because they're Jews of course the most heinous example of that is in the last century and the Holocaust, but this is an example of your people are hated simply because they're Jews. This is the Bible serves as the guidebook for our history, and uh, we have a phrase in Hebrew, avot banim, that what happens to the fathers happens to the children, and the story of the persecution and the slavery in Egypt and then the eventual exodus, which we'll get to in a few weeks, this is the guidebook for us regarding how to deal with what comes our way, and it has come our way throughout our history, where exactly what you just said, where we've been persecuted over and over and over again simply because we are the Jewish people. And what we essentially learn from the story is how do we survive it, and uh, how do we deal with it? And the bottom line answer the bottom line answer is faith. Faith in God, not letting that faith go away. We were in pagan Egypt. According to our tradition, we were in the 49th level of impurity on the verge of, of losing it all, but we held on to a little bit of that faith in God, and that was able to get us through, and that's what gets us through in every single time. You, know, you hear stories about people in the times of the Holocaust. Of course, Many of them faced with the, what they were faced with rejected God, but so many held on, and so many were trying to find ways to keep Passover and, 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 and observe the Yom Kippur and in the concentration camps, and there, there was faith that lasted, and, and, and that eventually were able to get out uh, you know, thanks to that faith. And that's the story over here as well, and uh, the story of a people that seems to have no hope whatsoever, 
And where does their salvation come from? It comes from a guy who grew up in the Pharaoh's palace, a prince of Egypt. Moses, the holy Moses, we call him Moshe Rabbeinu, our leader. He grew up, people don't realize this. You read the book and you read the Bible, you don't necessarily realize. He was 80 years of his life. He spends uh, in this situation of, of being part of pagan Egypt as a prince, as a, as a child of a, of a princess. And uh, he emerges from that and he becomes the savior, which again shows you, uh, you know, we don't know the ways of God. You never know where the salvation is going to come from. It also, by the way, gives us a, a faith in ourselves. No one can ever say, oh, I'm too far gone from God. I'm, I, I, I'm irredeemable. Uh, Moses was, like I said, an Egyptian prince and pagan Egypt, and he ultimately becomes the one who leads the Jewish people out of Egypt and eventually uh, gives them the Torah, brings them the Bible at, at Sinai. So uh, uh, amazing things that you learn from seeing the story uh, that happens to the people then, and it's something which we have to apply to ourselves e- even in our times. I, I always wonder, because this is a story of, of, of the, the people of Israel and the Jewish people, what does the Christian faith take from uh, the story of, of the persecution and the emergence of Moses and, and Moses uh, connecting with God and everything that comes from that? We believe in a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God, and we believe that God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, multiple generations, and the Jewish family tree goes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the way down to Moses, and later to King David, and later on to Jesus, who we believe is Messiah, and God makes a covenant and keeps a covenant, and if he lets his people die out, then he has broken his covenant. If he lets them die out in the land of Canaan with the drought and there's no food, then he breaks his promise. If he lets them die out as slaves in Egypt, then he breaks his promise. And yet he does not break his promise. He keeps his promise. And so he raises up a figure named Moses who becomes a foreshadow, I believe, of Messiah, the deliverer, the savior. And his birth is miraculous. He's supposed to be killed as an infant baby because the Pharaoh doesn't want more Hebrew males born. He survives. His mother puts him in this little basket, floats him down the river. He's found by the Pharaoh's own daughter, the princess, who shows compassion on him. She adopts this baby as her own, but she needs a nurse to nurse the baby. And one of the most amazing stories of the Bible, I feel, is that Miriam, the older sister of Moses, is there watching to see if her baby brother survives being put in the Nile River. She says to the princess, oh, well, I could find you someone to nurse the baby if you want. And Moses's own mother, Jochebed, is not only allowed to nurse her own son in opposition to the decree to kill the Hebrew baby boys, she's given a salary. She's paid by the Pharaoh to raise this baby who will then, when he's weaned or gets to be a few years old, moves into the palace and grows up, as you say, with the greatest of educations, the greatest of learning about commerce and economy and politics and military and language and culture, so that when he comes back at the age of 80 to talk to the Pharaoh, he knows the language, he knows the customs, he knows the people, he knows how to deal with the bureaucracy of all of that, which we'll get into in a few weeks. But this miracle birth and the protection where God doesn't just allow the baby to be born, he's reunited with his mother, and the mother is paid the salary to raise her own son, who will end up to be the deliverer. 
And we're going to get to the story of the calling of Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus in a moment. But I, I just love that part of the story, that God's details are so exact that he has the sister observe the baby brother and the mom reunited and raising him who will be the deliverer. And, and who knows, you, know, you ask yourself, okay, so he had those few years with his actual mom, which is unbelievable, and only an act of God can make that happen. And then he has his adolescence in the uh, Pharaoh's palace. And as he gets a little bit older, he, he sees the suffering and he, he, he actually ends up killing an Egyptian for uh, his beating of a Jew. And then he has to run away and he disappears for all those decades until he returns at the age of 80. And, and you ask yourself, okay, how does he have the wherewithal to have grown up in the palace in all those impressionable years as a teenager in the palace, then disappear essentially for years out in Midian, but not with his people and not amongst people of monotheistic faith. And how does he have then the ability to be so spiritual? And as you said, God gave him those few years with his mother and he nursed his mother's milk. And during those few years of those, of those, those infant years, uh, his mother was able to give him what he needed spiritually to be able to last through all of that, which is also an unbelievable act of God in terms of planting the seeds for that ultimate uh, salvation. So Moses grows up in the palace as an Egyptian. He learns the language and the culture, as we said, until the age of 40 when he observes an Egyptian taskmaster, a guard, abusing one of the Hebrew slaves. And he has this cultural identity crisis. Is he Egyptian? Is he a Jew? Is he one of the rulers? Is he one of the slaves? And he, in a fit of anger and rage, he tries to defend the Hebrew slave and ends up murdering the Egyptian guard and follow the story through the book of Exodus. First couple of chapters, he has to flee. He flees to Midian, as we say, Midian, as you called it. And he ends up marrying a young lady and works for his father-in-law, whose name was Jethro. And he was a shepherd. He was a fugitive of the law. He was alone. He was far away from all of his family. He's in a new country and he's 80 years old. He's really in a sad state. He doesn't seem to be successful in business. He doesn't seem to be successful in his family life. He doesn't seem to be successful spiritually. Yet God's calling from the very beginning that he would be the deliverer, the foreshadow of the Messiah. And God shows up to him in Exodus chapter 3 in the famous story called the burning bush story, which I want us to talk about in just a second. But I want to hear your comments on how do you think he was ready to hear the word of the Lord after being away from home and in this tough state for so long? How do you think God got him ready for the new assignment he was about to receive? Well, first of all, he spends the time serving as a shepherd. And in our tradition, that's a big part of the story, uh, learning about caring, learning about worrying about uh, God's creatures, even uh, even uh, if it's not a human being. All of this it was, you know, was, was, certainly, was certainly part of that. And having time to himself. If you look at our tradition, look at the stories of the Bible, so many of the great spiritual leaders were shepherds. And a lot of the thought is they had time to themselves. You know, we live in a world where we're so busy, we have no time to think to ourselves. We, we, we get into the car, first thing we do is put on the radio. We go anywhere. Uh, we, we surround ourselves with distractions from ourselves. And these shepherds, and Moses is a shepherd, has time to think about who am I? What am I? What is my soul? What is this all about? And from our tradition, that, those two elements, one is caring for the sheep, 
which puts him into a caring mode where he's able to then care for the Jewish people, uh, but also just the time for self-reflection, the time for self-refinement, the time for getting in touch with his true self, what the shepherd is able to do, that's what put him into the place where he's able to connect with God and eventually take this mission and, and save the Jewish people. And for our Christian audience, they can connect these dots that when you read the Gospel of John chapter 10 and verse 11, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What Jesus, the Jewish man, who we believe is God, was saying was exactly what Rabbi Lippmann just described, the idea of the shepherd as the ultimate leader and the one who protects and the one who is willing to lay down his life to protect his sheep. And so Moses, the hero of the story that we're reading in this week's Torah portion in the first part of the book of Exodus, is a foreshadow of the Messiah we believe is Jesus, and he Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd, so our Christian friends can connect this dot. Now, I want us to focus our attention on Exodus chapter 3 in the famous story that's called the burning bush. And you read in chapter 3, verse 2, an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. And the Lord said, Moses, do not come near here. Remove your sandals, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And I know our listeners will understand it's not holy for any other reason except that the Lord showed up. It's not holy because there's sheep there or a shepherd there or bushes there. It's holy because the Lord showed up. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you an assignment. But he begins with verse 6, a history lesson. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac the God of Jacob. The Lord said in verse 7, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have given heed to their cry. I am aware of their sufferings. Verse 8, I have come down, the Lord says, to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. And then in verse 10 of Exodus 3, the Lord says to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And we'll talk about Moses' reply in a moment, Rabbi, but I think it is so cool that the Lord picked, and we know this because he's sovereign, he does things that are right, he makes good decisions. But one example of that, he picks the man who is the Jew, who is the shepherd, who has this time to prepare, but also has the background to know the Egyptian language and culture and politics and bureaucracy. There's nobody better in the world for the Lord to pick. So, of course, the Lord picks the one that the world would have ignored, but he had been preparing now for 80 years for this important mission. And also remember, when Moses actually uh, responds to God's call, God gives him the whole situation of what's going on and what I need you for. And Moses' response, you know, is is exactly what you just said. Meaning, you just talked about the real background that's there, but Moses says in verse 11, who am I? I can't be the one uh, to do this. And we learn about what his hesitancy was about a little bit later on when he actually says that I don't even have the ability to speak. I don't know how to do this. Uh, you know, he, according to some of our commentaries, Moses had a speech impediment. He wasn't some great orator who could get up and, and, and rally a crowd and rally the people together. 
And that's exactly what God wants us to see, that it's not because of his oratory skills, that it's not because of anything other than it's God who prepared him for this, and God's been given the ability to succeed, uh, largely based on the, the things that you talked about. And that's why this emergence of Moses, uh, for me, is, is, is the focal point of this week's portion, because I think there's so much to learn in terms of it's God who chooses the leaders, it's God who makes the leaders uh, succeed. Anyone can become uh, that, that leader, anyone can become super spiritual and even a spiritual leader no matter what their background no matter where they're from and 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 god's the one who ultimately uh, can help make all that happen you're right children of god are called to specific assignments within his kingdom and we can trust that if god calls you to a mission he will prepare you for that as we see in the example of moses no one better fit the qualifications needed for this role but it's not just the human efforts or abilities of moses exodus 3 verse 12 The Lord said to Moses, certainly I will be with you. And I teach our folks that that's the first promise that the Lord made to him. You're not alone in this. I will walk with you. I will be your guide. I will be your protector. I will perform miracles on your behalf because I'm keeping my covenant promise to the Jewish people. But we're not alone when we walk with the Lord. The I will be with you promise Keep reading in Exodus 3.12, and the Lord says, This shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, all of you, you Jews coming out of slavery, will worship me, will worship God at this mountain. So the first promise was, I will be with you, says the Lord. The second promise is, you're going to come right back here. You're going to worship me. And I'm going to keep the promise that I said. And so even though it's going to be a difficult journey, and later on in future Torah portions, we'll talk about all the plagues and the miracles and the struggle of deliverance. But this is the beginning and the end of the story right here. And God says, I will be with you. And trust me, it's going to work out the way I told you to as long as you walk with me. And that's what I was talking about before about how when it's all said and done, the way to be able to emerge from these horrible situations and the reason why we believe we're here after 2,000 years of wandering around the world and making our way back to Israel, it was faith. You know, we've been talking a lot about the Jerusalem in the news the last uh, few weeks, right? That faith of saying next year in Jerusalem, that faith of turning towards Jerusalem to pray for 2,000 years, that's what God is through. And God is telling Moses that in this story, that the way for Moses to go to Egypt and save them, there has to be faith. For the people of Israel to be saved, uh, there has to be faith. It all comes down to that faith and that and that recognition that God can make anything happen, and that's exactly what we're supposed to learn from the story, both from the side of the Savior and from the side of those who are saved. And for our listeners, I'll remind them that this week's Torah portion called Shemot covers Exodus chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and we're focusing most of our conversation on chapter 3, but I encourage them to look at chapters 4 and 5, and chapter 5 is when Moses and his older brother Aaron first have the encounter with the Pharaoh. And the first time that they tell Pharaoh, let the people of Israel go, let us be released as slavery. And that's going to lead us into next week's Torah portion as we get into those discussions between Moses and the Pharaoh. And that's connected to what's happening here. But our focus has really been on chapter three. And I want to finish with this thought, Rabbi, you've, I have talked about this personally, that the name of God is so powerful. It is so holy. It is so majestic that we ought to show it respect and reverence. That's why one of the commandments is do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So when we read Exodus chapter three, verse 13, Moses says, 
Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. They may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And thus you shall say, I am has sent me to you. And so we want to show respect and reverence for the name of God. And this is how I always tell our church, Rabbi, that the God of the universe could have pulled out his resume and called himself a lot of things. He could have called himself creator of heaven and earth. He could have called himself almighty God. He could have called himself the holy one, the righteous one, the powerful one, the majestic one. He could have used a lot of descriptors for himself. And in the way he self-identifies is... I am who I am. I am the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, as the New Testament says. One who has been eternal, never been created, never had anyone dominate me. I've always been God. Talk about how you read the Lord self-identifying, not in all those other ways, but in this way. Well, there's two elements to it. One element is the reality that we cannot possibly fathom what God is. And God is sharing that with Moses. You're, you're going to be a great man. You are a great man, but you're a limited human being. And uh, that's part one of this for sure. And that's why he just says, there's no possible way. I am what I am, or I'll be what I'll be. But there's also, we, we're always supposed to learn from the ways of God. And we're always supposed to try to emulate God. And this is where we don't want to put human aspects and, and descriptions on God, but that's where the element of, of obviously humility and understanding that uh, we're not out there to tout ourselves and pound our chests and then talk about how great we are, uh, that certainly uh, would come from this as well. And, and, you know, let's remember Moses is also the most humble of all men, like we talked about. To see that dynamic of this uh, you know, conversation, so to speak, between a God, a real God, and the real God, not out there, uh, you know, with any level of ego. I mean, again, these are terms that are human terms, so you can't even apply them to a God. But then Moses also on the other side of it with the humility. It's just an incredible message uh, for all of us and something which uh, we all have to glean from for sure. And my last comment, and then Rabbi, I'll ask for yours, is back to Exodus 3, verse 12, when the Lord said, I will be with you. That was promise number one. And then promise number two, you shall worship God at this mountain. I want to remind our Christian and our Jewish listeners that the response to connecting with the Lord, to seeing that God is real, that he is powerful, that he is true, that he is loving, that he is righteous, the only proper response is worship. And that's what we call our church members and our fellow Christians is to the worship of Jesus the Savior. And Rabbi, I'd like to hear your final comment on worshiping the Lord when he reveals himself to us. Well, there's no doubt that uh, you know, we certainly place a tremendous emphasis on uh, the daily worship and what we call the mitzvot, the commandments, and it's a huge part of our day, and uh, it, it surrounds us everywhere we go. We have we have commandments that we're that we're following, and and that's the greatest tribute uh, that we can give to God. You know, and the response is not just a a passive thank you. But it's a thank you and now a recognition that 
I, I can now connect and relate to God uh, through those commandments. So, so we, we're not a, we don't believe that belief alone is enough and thanks alone is enough, but it has to translate uh, in, into actions. And that's where our commandments come into place. So it's certainly a major element. That's what God is telling Moses over here as well. You're not just going to leave Egypt and that's it. It's not leave Egypt to be free people, so to speak, to do, be free to do whatever you want to do. It's the ultimate freedom, which is fulfilling your purpose, which is to actually worship God. And that's exactly what we see uh, in that verse. I think that there's a, a lot of commonality in terms of what we can take from that. It has been our pleasure to join with our listeners this week on the Lone Star Podcast to review the weekly Torah portion, this time from the book of Exodus, from the Jewish and Christian perspective. We pray blessings upon all of our listeners. I pray blessings upon you, my friend, Rabbi Littman. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much, Pastor Shabbat Shalom. And again, to everyone, uh, your prayers for the rain in Israel would be so, so uh, welcome. And we thank you for your partnership, and we thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.